my friends. It has taken me much longer to write the article this episode is based on than it usually takes. Mental health among MKs isn't a taboo subject anymore, but it's still so often overlooked, and it's complex. So I've wanted to take my time with interviews and research. No two young people who suffer from depression, anxiety, or other forms of illness are alike. And no two families who are dealing with it are alike either. So in my mind, this is a conversation opener on the topic, just a conversation opener. I'll give a few suggestions on what can be done to prevent or identify some of the suffering some MKs have known. But mostly, I want to shed a light on the prevalence of mental illness in this people group. My hope is that this piece will allow conversations among families and peers and give you some items for further in-depth research on your own. This is A Parent's Primer on MKs and Mental Health. I wish my parents had heard an article like this one before I was born into the world of missions, but there was little awareness about mental health, especially juvenile mental health, in the Christian world of the 60s, 70s, and even 80s. In some cases, there was actual pushback against psychological intervention and treatment because so many believed that a strong faith should be enough both for prevention and for cure. I was depressed nearly as far back as I can remember. It's visible in a faded portrait taken when I was about six years old, and it's evident in some of the poems I wrote as soon as I was able to spell. My first public poetry reading was at the age of 10, when, to the consternation of the adult poets in the room, I proudly recited the graphic piece I'd written about the massacre of a baby seal. If ever there was a red flag, right? If you look at the episode notes, I'll put an article there in which I detail more of my struggle with depression. My parents never knew how deep and chronic my despair was. They didn't suspect that a six-year-old could be depressed, nor did they even know what signs to look for under my sometimes or often bubbly behavior. The despondence ebbed and flowed throughout my early years and into my adulthood, and I wonder, looking back, how different my inner life might have been had someone known what mental illness was and what to look for when I was growing up. Over the past few decades, a deeper understanding of mental illness, of its prevalence and causes, has grown. We know so much more about its origins and manifestations and treatments today than we did then. We also know how common it is. In the United States, it's estimated that 17% of children and young people aged 6 to 17 will develop a mental health disorder. It would be foolish to assume that the world of missions is exempt from such a concerning statistic, especially considering the plentiful, exacerbating factors that abound in it. A doctor in the small German town where I used to live once asked me what we were doing at the MK school that was causing such anxiety and depression in our small community. He was treating so many of us for those disorders that he had serious questions as to the health of our work ethic and lifestyle, and honestly, rightfully so. 
I believe that some of the factors that can either cause emotional distress or aggravate existing forms of mental illness may occur in greater numbers and more intensely in the missionary community. They have been keenly and sometimes damagingly felt by many MKs who grow up, as one put it, in a fishbowl on the back burner. Here is an incomplete list of just some of those exacerbating factors. Frequency of transition, abandonment, isolation, pressure to perform, feelings of personal or moral failure, burnout, lack of transparency, absence of authentic relationship, the perception of being different, unexpressed or unresolved conflict, cultural alienation, linguistic barriers, neglect from caretakers, lack of emotional protection, lack of permission to express things like anger, sadness, and other forms of distress, feeling misunderstood, spiritual warfare, unexpressed guilt. The ACEs Diagnostic Tool, it stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences, adds another set of factors to the tally. These might include sexual abuse and other forms of trauma that can also occur while growing up in ministry, witnessing or being victims of natural disasters, for example, epidemics, conflict, threat of harm, and so much more. It is estimated that one in six Americans will score four or higher on the test, and I'll link to some information about that in the show notes. Yet at a recent MK conference, 76% of those who took the test had a score of four or more. That's the most potentially harmful category of results. Here's a quote. Toxic stress from ACEs can change brain development and affect how the body responds to stress. ACEs are linked to chronic health problems, mental illness, and substance abuse. Though the participating MKs were eager to take the test and to discuss their scores over the next several days, they were less enthusiastic about talking more vulnerably in terms of long-term emotional fallout, mental challenges, and suffering. That's true to form. In my nearly 30 years of ministry to MKs, I've learned that those who experienced something that felt like mental illness as children never told their caregivers about the hardships they were enduring. Imagine the emotional erosion so many of them experienced from shouldering the accumulation of so much unspoken suffering. There are several possible reasons for MKs not to speak of what they're going through, and I've heard the following multiple times. Not wanting to burden their parents. They're so busy and stressed already. Why would I add my stuff to their stuff? Not wanting to appear weak or needy. I'm an MK. I should be resilient. Not wanting to be disloyal. God called my family. How can I say it's hurting me? Not wanting to demonstrate insufficient faith. It would go away if my prayers were strong enough, right? Fear that there will be no help. This is just who I am. Nobody and nothing can help me. Fear that putting it into words might actually make it worse. Now that it's out there, it feels even more real. And so, they suffer. 
In the article from which this episode is taken, I've listed several quotes from MKs who experienced undetected or untreated mental illness during their growing up years. I'll just mention a couple of their quotes here with a soft bell tone to separate them so you know where each new one begins. And I invite you to read the rest of them using the link I'll leave in the notes. Here's the first quote. Nightmares began at seven that involved me not being able to do some specific task, and so the entire population of Earth died because of me. Over and over again, my panic attacks started in 10th grade boarding school, but I thought I was having heart attacks, and for months I thought I would die there with no way to get help. No one ever talked about grief or loss, about feeling isolated. It was also well known that if you talked to someone about your feelings, it could blow back on your parents. So when I was sexually assaulted, I spoke to no one because it might affect the work. That's not healthy. And it negatively affected my relationship with God for years. My stuttering was from severe anxiety and panic attacks directly related to my parents' career. My doctor correlated this to me at the age of 38, although it started at the age of 6. He was shocked that nobody ever took me to a doctor. Jesus and their work was more important than the fact that their lifestyle made their son sick. We were to be seen and not heard. Our needs didn't matter. The mission or ministry came before family because it got lumped in wrongly with God. So what can we do? Each one of the following suggestions is merely a starting point. It will need to be considered and fleshed out by individuals, whole families, and entire communities if we're going to clearly see what needs to change in order to recognize mental illness, name it, address it, and bring rescue to those who suffer. If we can begin the healing by implementing the following practices, there's a chance that growing up MK will become so much healthier, something that can be wholly celebrated without the unbearable burdens that sometimes come with the undeniable blessings. Suggestion number one, create a family culture and vocabulary in which each member's sadness, stress, fear, Lethargy, dread, even impulses to harm oneself or others can be openly discussed. This needs to begin as early as communication is possible and be reinforced by regular, honest conversations. Family yays and yucks sessions, if you know of those, at least once a week can be helpful with young children. Contact me if you'd like to know more about those. Number two, be mindful of the words you use within earshot of your children. MKs are predisposed to seeing perceived weakness as insufficient faith. Make sure your words don't paint emotional challenges or mental illness as failure or sin. And be intentional about speaking in terms of hope and help for healing. Because so many MKs seek to protect their parents and their ministry by their silence or by putting on expected behaviors, pay attention. Regularly and lovingly scan for signs of distress or mental illness. I'll post a chart in the notes to help you with what those signs might be. 
The ACEs quiz, which I mentioned previously, might be helpful as well to evaluate your child's toxic stress. Number four, destigmatize the life saving and mental health enhancing practice of seeing counselors, psychologists, and psychiatrists. Make sure your kids know that seeking clinical help beyond counseling can be legitimate and good, too. Medicine is not a cop-out. Get them help as soon as you suspect there's a problem, without making them feel like they're being a burden. And seek help yourself if you need to, so they see how normal it is. Suggestion number five, plan regular family and individual debriefs run by people outside your ministry spheres, particularly but not only after traumatic events. Make these debriefs a priority. Don't wait two or three years until your next home assignment if you're seeing concerning behaviors now or if you've just been through something as a family that you know might impact a child's mental wellness. Invest and sacrifice, if necessary, in order to ensure your children's health. Number six, don't assume that your children's emotions and faith will withstand what yours can. I can't emphasize this enough. Children simply do not have the resilience and fortitude we sometimes expect of them. In my experience, that vaunted resilience we assign to our MKs, it's too often simply lack of permission or vocabulary to speak of the hard things. If children and teens have been exposed to something that adults find troubling, scary, or destabilizing, their young hearts and minds will feel it as terrifying, horrifying, and traumatizing. And if there's already underlying mental illness there, it could cause a sudden downward spiral that requires immediate attention. Suggestion number seven, speak about Jesus and God as someone who understands grief, who suffered, whose heart breaks for their broken places, who understands how helpless they feel, and who longs to bring resources into their lives that will help them to heal. Reassure them that he is not ashamed of their depression, anxiety, OCD, or any other form of mental suffering. He is with them, and he is for them. Make sure as well that you don't use mature believer talk with them in their time of need. They might not have the spiritual savvy to hear things like, God allowed this, or everything that happens to us is sifted through God's hands in the way that you intend it to be heard. Please make sure you don't use words that make God the perpetrator of their pain. I'll post a link to an article on that topic in the notes as well. And finally, suggestion number eight. Sometimes the best answer to a child's mental illness or suffering will be rescuing him or her from a context that is toxic and damaging, even if it isn't so for the rest of the family. There is no greater demonstration of your children's importance to you and to God than the sacrifice it might take to get them away from the source of their pain and provide them with the help they deserve. I'll post a link to an article on this topic in the notes as well. Again, mental illness on the mission field is no less prevalent than it is elsewhere. Some of the professionals I spoke with for this article actually suspect that it might be more common among children raised in a highly demanding context and without a singular cultural identity. Remember, 
MKs are experts at protecting our parents and caregivers from the acid that is eating away at our sense of stability, worth, and safety. I spent most of my own life telling myself that I could power my way out of the depression and anxiety that were haunting me. I couldn't. And the years I spent neither speaking of them nor seeking help for them eroded my wellness in ways I'm still measuring today. I realize there is no way that a single article could exhaustively unpack this topic. Please consider this merely a discussion starter or a primer. I encourage you to process it with others in your community and within your own family to establish new practices that will contribute to the overall health of all involved, particularly the children whose pain too often goes unspoken, unnoticed, and unhelped. We all, as people committed to helping and serving others in the name of the Lord, we all need to make sure that no child's well-being gets overlooked in our zeal to reach the ends of the earth. Thank you so much, friends, for listening this far. All my contact information is in the episode notes if you'd like to continue chatting. And of course, all the articles and resources I've mentioned are linked there too. As always, I'd love it if you shared this podcast with your friends and family in ministry, even with pastors and missions committees of churches that send families to the field. There's just so much for all of us to learn. And I hope that this is a helpful place to start some important conversations. Wherever you are today, and whether you love a purple person or are a purple person, my prayer for you is that you will celebrate the indisputable blessings of living between worlds and find the grace and courage to process and learn from the harder parts, too. Thank you so much for listening.